Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we're going to talk about nine bad reasons to close your church. But before we get to that, I have an exciting update for our listeners. We've recently partnered with our friends over at the Fight, Laugh, Feast network to reach even more listeners. You can download their app, Fight, Laugh, Feast, and find Leadership Now and a growing list of podcasts from across North America there. So as many of you are aware, we're in a third season where churches are being forcibly closed by our premier, and many arguments have been offered by church leaders in support of obeying, in support of complying with these restrictions, even though they will say they are very upset, maybe even baffled by these restrictions. So I'm going to play the role of a pro-compliance pastor, and Aaron, today I'd like you to get your responses to their arguments. Sure. Yeah, no so, so I'll start out with a very, very common one. Uh, we must comply because it's the law. What's your response to that? Yeah, well, before I actually answer the question, I want to give a little shout out because I'm, I'm hoping he'll maybe listen to this later today or tomorrow. I want to give a little shout out to my brother, my youngest brother, Jason Rock. Uh, today is his 40th birthday. Okay. And uh, so happy birthday, Jason, if you're listening. Um, many of you know my brother Jason was uh, – catastrophically disabled in a car accident when he was um, 15 years old. And uh, at the time, we did not expect that he would survive. But the Lord has given him uh, 25 extra years of life, and we're super thankful for the many lives that he has uh, been used by the Lord to impact for um, for his glory. And we're thankful that Jason knows the Lord and uh, is serving and following Christ well. So happy birthday, brother. So yeah, how would I respond? It's the some would say we must comply because it's a law. Well, I would say to that, that's very disputable. It's very disputable. We do have health orders that are being enforced by police officers and bylaw officers. But I've said this multiple times. I think it's worth saying again, the highest laws of our land include documents like our charter, which are being violated. Now, Canadian law does allow charter rights, I'm aware of this, to be suspended if it's demonstrably justifiable. The court has yet to determine whether these are demonstrably, demonstrably justifiable. And certainly in Ontario here, our premier has offered no evidence to even try to remotely justify his behavior. We also have Section 176 of the Criminal Code, which forbids the disruption of religious services, uh, barring pastors from entering, etc. We're seeing those rules being violated in various jurisdictions. So I, I would just say the jury's out on that. I, I'm just not convinced that we are um, breaking the law at this point. Um, but even if we were, we would want to remind ourselves that as Christians, God's law is higher than any human law, even if uh, these laws stood up in court. God's law is higher and the premier has no jurisdiction over the worship life, the teaching, the meeting, or the fellowship of God's people. That's great. I think that line, you've drawn it very clearly and it will be helpful uh, as people consider that. So what about this? Christ called us to love and it's the loving thing to do. Well, we've heard this all along. In fact, secularists have said, you know, you got to love your neighbor. You got to love your neighbor. 
and I get it. We do we do want to never love our neighbors, but again, it's the the assumption behind this question is that the only way to love your neighbors to lock your church down. I think that's just patently false. People are more than biotic beings. How often have we said that? People are more than physical beings. And we look around us. Is it loving to see tens of thousands of small business owners lose their shirts for a virus that will never affect them? Uh, Is it loving to be part of a social experiment whereby we're seeing people kill themselves, fall into opioid addictions, uh, people have apostatized and fallen away from the Christian faith? So I, I certainly don't want to accuse a pro-lockdown pastor of being unloving, but I, I, would, I would certainly bristle at any suggestion that we're being unloving. I think all of us are, are trying to be motivated by love for our neighbor. We're just simply disagreeing with what that looks like. Mm-hmm. What about this? People are dying. It's irrefutable. Well, people die all the time. And uh, to date, we really have not had the predictions, the modeling come through. In Canada, certainly in Ontario, uh, there were predictions that, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people would die directly from this virus. People have died with the virus and from the virus. It really has not caused a, you know, massive uptick in uh, annual deaths in our uh, country. If you compare, let's say, 2020 over 2019. So that's that's a good thing. Uh People die, the majority of people, we, we know it. I mean, it's it's not even an arguable point. With very few exceptions, the vast majority of people that die of COVID are well beyond the national lifespan average in Canada. And certainly well beyond the biblical, you know, three score and 10, the 70 year mark, which God uh, gives us in scripture. What we do have is we have people dying from other things. So that's true. Um, I would say the counter argument then would be to summer, to summarize, you should open your church so that people stop dying. <laughs> There's dying from other things. Um, now most pastors, and, and if you're listening and you're pastoring another church, if, if, if you sort of are an anomaly, I'd like to hear from you, but most pastors that I've talked to have buried no people in their churches as a result of COVID. I'm sure there are a few out there. But for the most part, you know, we've made it through over a year and we have not buried anyone who has died of COVID. Well, that says a lot. And so we have to think a little bigger. And while we've been told, you know, people are dropping dead by the droves, the bottom line is bodies are not stacked up in the street like cordwood. And so we need to kind of just chill out a little bit and remind ourselves, um, you know, that the the lion is not out in the street, uh, you know, tearing and shredding everyone. There's a lion out there. He's lost most of his teeth. He's biting a few people. But for the most part, um, the vast majority of people will survive this virus. And so we need to think about the um, collateral damage resulting from lockdowns. Yeah. To that point, I just read a CTV article this morning that said the, uh, the death rate during this third wave is much lower than the death rate in the first wave. And so as they say, the variants are getting worse and it's more deadly. The actual factual data is showing the opposite, mostly because we protected long-term care a little bit better finally. Yeah, um, to that point, by the way, there's there's a lot of different opinions. You know, you talk to, I think Doug Ford said something like, you talk to 10 doctors, you get 11 different opinions. Even he's acknowledging that. But uh, I talked to a physician recently and his perspective was, 
perspective is the variants are not more deadly. Some of them are more contagious. And, you know, you can fact check that for yourself. But uh, even if the, the variants were five times deadlier than uh, previous strains of this virus, I just don't think we're going to see mass casualties. And even if we saw an uptick in casualties, we still got to keep our churches open because, again, the collateral damage is devastating. Crisis called us to meet. And we are in the business of actually equipping people for eternity, which we often don't talk about. The reason, the fundamental reason why churches should be open, even in war or plague, even if there is mass casualties, is because we have the gospel and the gospel understood and surrendered to equips people for the next life. So bottom line is uh, the more death, the more churches should be open because that's the primary means of reaching people. Excellent. Martin Luther would agree with you on secular authority. He writes basically saying that, you know, if a pastor is afraid of the virus and wants to, a, a plague and wants to leave, you know, basically don't fault him. But if he wants to stay, absolutely should commend him in his faith because people need to hear about eternal life. Mm. Um, how about this argument? Uh, we can't disrespect the government. You know, they're in a tough spot, like they're in a pandemic. Uh, so if you want to govern, Aaron, go ahead and run for office and stop making it hard on the officials. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. People need to maybe uh, brush up a little bit on high school civics, because while we're not out there calling our leaders you know, atrocious names, even though some name calling is appropriate. I mean, in the scriptures, there's opportunity, there's, uh, was it, was it Pilate or Herod that was called a fox? You know, there, there's derogatory terms sometimes that are used to, to describe someone's behavior. You can say, well, that person's, you know, acting like an ignoramus and it, it might very well be true, but we're not out there swearing and cursing, uh, you know, using curse words against, uh, uh, our governing officials. We want to be respectful. Um, uh, we, we want to pray for our enemies, um, by the way, praying for your enemies doesn't just include niceties. It also includes at times imprecatory psalms if God's glory and honor is being diminished. But uh, to, to the question, so yeah, I want to acknowledge, first of all, we want to be respectful, although uh, we need to define that word a little bit. But our, our governmental structures actually invite opposition, period. Uh, we have an official opposition on the on the uh, provincial level, on the federal level. We are invited. So if you're a Christian, listen to this. You are invited to criticize, to oppose, to speak out against, and to protest any government decision. And that's not a sin. It's, it's completely acceptable and appropriate. We believe in free speech. We believe that's healthy for a culture. We believe that governments uh, should always have checks and balances in place. And I think that the reason why some people might be crossing the line right now and being you know, labeled as disrespectful is it's actually the government's fault. The government has essentially closed the legislative assembly. They're not allowing for opposition. They are banning protests. They're censoring, not they specifically, but the system is censoring free speech. Um, they are censoring free speech in terms of public outdoor protests. So they're, 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 they're creating a disastrous scenario for themselves whereby frustrated people, uh, you know, sometimes are resorting to name calling. I'm not advocating for that, but you need to consider the source. Um, so let's, let's, not, let's not leave this conversation with this strange notion that being respectful is sort of 
you know, speaking in very, you know, low tones and hushed tones and just always using flowery language and niceties and reminding the premier that we're praying for him. You know, you, you got to call people out on stuff. And especially a person whose actions are leading to um, all sorts of catastrophic um, uh, consequences and you know, the letters aren't being responded to. The phone calls aren't being returned. There's a bullheadedness about this. I feel extremely comfortable speaking back. In fact, I think the, the problem is not so much being disrespectful. The problem is not enough people are pushing back. There's not enough opposition, not enough criticism. We've seen it uh, in, you know, the situation with the police this week where our premier basically gave them authority to stop you and check you and question you. And all the police are like, nah, we're not doing that. That's opposition. The premier receives that. He stands up. He apologizes. He sheds some tears. And that's off the books. That's not an option for the for the police now. So this is a good thing. We should push back. Hmm. Okay. This is one that we've heard over and over again. It's a good witness to the community to close your church, to obey, to comply. This is – I'm fascinated actually by this one. And I've thought a lot about the reasons behind it. And I, I think it's appropriate at times to, to speak anecdotally. Um, we tend to live in a world where everyone wants you know, a footnote and a statistic, um, which is kind of more of a modern phenomenon. But I, I'm, I can think of just my life experience and wisdom over almost, I guess, what, 28 years or something like that of pastoring and interacting with people. I have this sense that the North American church as a whole kind of has it wrong, or at least they're imbalanced in their understanding of what a faithful witness is, what it means to be a good witness. In a post-Christian world, I think we have this notion that being a good witness is being kind of liked or appreciated or laying low, staying under the radar, um, you know, being seeker sensitive, trying to draw people in and not ruffle feathers, not being disruptive to the social order. That sounds all nice and dandy, but the reality is if you just look at scripture, pretty much every person who's a faithful witness is always in trouble with the authorities and disliked by culture, the culture around them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in Matthew 10, which I, you know, preached Last week there, I think it's verse 18, it talks about being dragged before courts for my name's sake and bearing witness to the lost, the Gentile. So we actually bear witness in court cases where we defy uh, injustice or we defy the state intervening with, you know, matters of Christian ministry. So if I'm, you know, like the believers in Matthew 10 are being encouraged to do. I'm going from town to town preaching the gospel or I'm in my own town preaching the gospel and they're trying to stop me from doing that for whatever reason, because I'm politically disruptive, because there's a health crisis or whatever the reason is. It doesn't really matter what the reason is in my view. They're trying to disrupt me. I can bear witness to the world by saying, no, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. And, you know, we know Paul, he, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. I mean, he has his, you know, a list a mile and a half long, you know, he makes those of us that have gotten a few tickets or Pastor James out in um, Edmonton who spent 35 days in jail. I mean, he makes us look like weaklings. I mean, he just went through a whole uh, litany of of atrocious 
consequences as a result of ministering the gospel. And and who who would diminish his name in the Christian church? I mean, everybody loves the Apostle Paul, right? So being a faithful witness is fundamentally obedience to what God has called us to. It's it's not trying to endear ourselves to culture. We don't want to go around being ornery and unnecessarily um, you know, dramatic. And people people will interpret that. People say, oh, if you're confident, that means you're arrogant. If you push back, you're you're an anarchist. If you question the narrative, you're a conspiracy theorist. All of those accusations will come out. But at the end of the day, we stand before an audience of one, and that's God. And I want to be a faithful witness and do what he has called me to do. So many people are afraid to meet. We know that to be true uh, from experience. And in some ways, it's easier to minister to them online. What would you say to the pastor who's saying, you know, we need to meet people where they're at. They're afraid. It's easy to meet them online. Let's go there. Well, if you meet in person, you're certainly not necessarily excluding people from being ministered to online. But if you're meeting only online, you're excluding people that really feel compelled and are in need of meeting in person. Now, I do believe that online ministry is very weak. It's not as efficacious. It's not as effective as in-person ministry. And it is the, the biblical model is in-person ministry and there's many reasons for that. Um, but like in our church, we, we don't have a lot of people that want to be ministered to on, online, but we do, we still do post our sermon, uh, for people to watch. So there's at least that component. Um, we don't post the rest of our service because there's a bunch of snoops out there uh, looking for opportunities to criticize how we do things. And our perspective is, you know, we're not going to unduly um, open ourselves up to public criticism of, you know, how people are singing or not singing, et cetera. So we don't do that. That's because the, you know, 99.9% of our people are in, in church on, on a Sunday being ministered to. So, uh, but, I, I would, even though part of me is very uncomfortable with any sort of an online church experience, and you know that many years ago when we first started putting our sermons online, I I was very uncomfortable with that for, for a period of time. I didn't want to become... I don't, I, I don't want to start pastoring other people's flocks who wanted to maybe tune in and watch my sermons living in other cities. I wanted them to respect the teaching of their own pastor, pastors, et cetera. I didn't want people staying at home using it as an excuse not to show up to church. We sorted through those things and weighed out kind of the risks and the rewards and decided to put our sermons online. But I've never felt like 100% comfortable with that. Even in a generation where we're doing like a podcast like this, I hope it's a blessing to many people, but I wouldn't want this to be a substitute for you being part of a vibrant Christian church, Right. I want you to be part of a vibrant Christian church because we're not Gnostics. We need in-person, material, physical, incarnational ministry. Um, but uh, so, so while I would issue a caution to to not make the mistake of putting too much of your ministry online, uh, in this circumstance, I'm comfortable with uh, sort of a, a, an accommodative approach where we're accommodating people who for whatever reason they're steeped in fear or whatnot, they just, they will, they won't show up. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll minister to them as best as we can using some technological means. Although I don't think it's great, 
But we can't do that exclusively because all the other people that actually get this idea of incarnational ministry, the presence of Christ descending upon his gathered people, uh, the one another's church discipline, um, the the um, the you know the incarnational ministry of of uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and singing and worship and greeting each other with a holy kiss, being affectionate. You have to be in person to do that. So a whole slice of your ministry, most of the pie is gone actually when you just resort to online only. So online, not an option. Uh, some people would say still though, you know, the church isn't the building, the building, the building, the building. So yeah. what would you say to that? So I, I grew up in a very closed brethren type church when I was younger and they refused to even put the word church, you know, C-H-U-R-C-H on any building because they didn't want people to think the church was a building. Well, frankly, I don't even know of anybody in any denomination that actually thinks the church is the building. Like nobody thinks that. It's it's kind of a a falsified argument. People know that the church is the people. Okay. I get that. So let's let's just talk about the building, not call it the church, right? Yeah. We all know the church is the people. That's the family of God. So I would agree the church is not the building. Guess what? The church is also not Zoom. The church is not an online platform. So those that would say, well, we don't we don't need the church building to be the church. Yeah, and you don't need Zoom either to be the church. So what do you need? Which which direction do you go? The church is a gathering of believers meeting together for the breaking of bread for fellowship for the proclamation of the word for prayer under the watchful care of elders. That's the basic biblical definition of a bona fide church. And because we're materialized beings, you know, we have bodies, we need space to meet in. And in order to do that, we need some sort of a building. I don't care if it's your your basement, uh, a pole barn, an old school, uh, the back end of a restaurant, you have to have some sort of a uh, physical space for people to meet in. And the blessings of that are pretty titanic. So I would say there's a, there's an argument to be made that the blessings of incarnational ministry are you know, 100 times superior to anything that we could possibly pull off on Zoom. But with regard to the the specific argument, you know, the the church that comes out with the announcement, we don't we don't need the building to meet because, you know, we're just a spiritual community. Okay, but again, you don't need Zoom then either. So uh, people might say, yeah, but meeting in the church building is dangerous. Meeting on Zoom is not dangerous, really. I think they're dangerous in a different way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, meeting on Zoom, you have no accountability. Uh, you have no focus. You have no church discipline. You have no opportunity to really walk with someone through the, the trials and ups. And I mean, I, I'm not even sure I want to spend too much more time on that. I think it's self-evident that there's something very different about watching a screen as opposed to being with God's people as God has designed us to be. So this week I heard a pastor say, uh, we aren't being persecuted yet. uh, And because we're not being persecuted, we will not civilly disobey. That's their red line. What would you say to that? Well, in a previous article that I wrote last year, which kind of traveled across the country, it was an article calling the church to divine obedience over civil obedience, which was, by the way, very selective language. I didn't say civil disobedience because I, I'm not. I'm still not convinced we're disobeying the civil authorities. I think the charter and the criminal code protects us. 
But divine obedience takes precedence over uh, civil obedience. So when God gives a series of commands, they're superior to to, to um, human commands. So with regard to persecution, okay, if we just compare and contrast ourselves to other religious groups, yeah, one could say, yeah, we're not being persecuted. They're mosques and synagogues and all that are supposed to be closed down as well. Although, sidebar, the reason why worship was increased from a minimum of five to a minimum of 10 was to accommodate the outcry of the Orthodox Jews who need a minimum of 10 to meet their quorum for their worship services. So there is an accommodation there, which has sort of provided uh, a measure of peace and calm with the Jews. Uh, Islam, by the way, they're not required to publicly, they're required to pray five times, but there's no... um, uh, directive that I'm aware of in Islam that requires them to, you know, meet on the Lord's day or some other day. They do. Friday is a day of big, big day of prayer, but they could go for a long period of time. And it's not really a violation of their scriptures as it would be ours. That aside. So let's, let's just say for a moment, we're not being persecuted. Okay. Who cares? Who cares? I think it's kind of somewhat irrelevant. Uh, because there are a couple, a couple reasons for that. We're certainly being suppressed Okay, for sure, we're being suppressed. So let's say if you mean we're not being persecuted in in the sense that we're not being specifically targeted over and above any other group, well, that's debatable when you keep big box stores open and beer stores open and liquor stores open and closed churches, that's debatable. But we could maybe agree if we met halfway in the middle and said, well, at least we're being suppressed, right? Well, when the church is suppressed, that means someone else is has taken their hand and put it upon the church and said, this is what you're going to do or not do. My fundamental argument is not so much, well, we got to get the churches open because we're being, we're experiencing hardship and persecution. If, if that's my primary concern, that's a very horizontal concern. That's, that's a concern just about me. You know, I, I don't, I don't like being oppressed. I don't like being suppressed. I don't like being persecuted. I don't like being told what to do. That's a very horizontal concern. My concern is vertical, that fundamentally, this is the, the, the biggest argument of the whole podcast, Christ is the king of the church. Mm-hmm. And under no circumstances will I ever, ever, ever agree to allow any governor under any circumstances, no matter how well-meaning he or she might be, even if he loves the church and is a born-again Christian and thinks he's doing what's absolutely best for the church and protecting us from a plague, I will say, no, sir, I will not allow anybody apart from Christ to dictate to the church of Jesus Christ that it can or cannot sing, that it can or cannot baptize, that it can or cannot meet, that it can or cannot minister to the poor, that it can or cannot marry and bury, practice church discipline and celebrate the Lord's Supper, etc. Never, ever, ever, ever can the church possibly take Romans 13, which calls us to submit in criminal matters to the government, and say that means that in every area of life, we're, we got to allow the government to have a say. That is insanity. And I want to say it in the, in the strongest possible words. Romans 13 it very specifically limits the government's authority to matters of social or, or public justice. They carry the sword. The sword is a symbol of justice. If you read the text, it talks about them punishing the evildoer. So do good because you want to be punished by the by the state, right? By the government. 
They are responsible to punish criminals. We're not. We don't have a chopping block out front of our church whereby we execute criminals. We don't have courts of law here in our church. We bring in murderers and pedophiles and thieves and try them in a, in a church court. That's the state's job. And we will always honor the state's authority in that regard, properly understood, properly executed according to God's law, of course. But just because they have that authority doesn't mean they have the authority over your church. They have no authority to stop me from preaching or meeting. And this is why we have in the foggy memory of our nation, these notions of separation of church and state. They, they function in different spheres of authority. This is why we have Section 176 of the Criminal Code, to stop the state from censoring and hindering the, minister, the ministry of ministers of the gospel. This is why it's there. So if I'm, if I'm functioning in accordance with historic understandings of the church's relationship with the state and uh, the influence the church has had even on the, found, the foundational documents of our country and the criminal code, folks, I'm not a lawbreaker whatsoever. You're breaking God's law, in fact, by permitting the state to habitually close your church. You're breaking God's law. I'm obeying not only God's law, but also the highest laws of our land. You should be the one getting a ticket <laughs> from God, mm-hmm. a summons to his holy court uh, for, for the decisions that you've made. So I, uh, if, if this is just new to you, okay, lots of grace, you know, and if you've been closing your church because you had a different notion, lots of grace. And encourage you to change your mind. But if you know this and you just continue to bow down over and over again, pastor, fellow pastor, are you listening? You're going to be held accountable to God for your decisions. Okay. I can stand before God with a clean conscience, not because I'm a perfect man. I'm far from it. But I have held very high the absolute and final authority of Christ over his church. And come hell or high water, I will never, ever willfully relinquish the authority that Christ has over his church to any premier, any prime minister, any president, any police chief, any bylaw officer. And, you know, I, I, maybe I should stop talking because I'm getting a little excited about it. But I, I want to make that point, you know, loud and clear. I was looking for the applause button to just hit the uh, <laughs> way to go. Keep it going. It's good. It's solid. It's truthful. And I think we'll be uh, just reminding people again, we stand ultimately before God as our judge, not the Supreme Court of Canada. Okay. We have one more here uh, because it's not that bad and we just need to wait for vaccines. The vaccine's the savior we're waiting for. Yeah. Like, you know, there's obviously a lot of people where it's not a big deal. We can endure. Okay. If you're in a church of, you know, X number of people and all none of those people have been negatively affected because they're wealthy or they're, you know, they've been walking with Christ for 40 years and they got a good solid network in their homes. Okay, fine. Most people aren't in situations like that. Most of us are dealing with broken people, vulnerable people, people in challenging circumstances. We're seeing what's going on in, in culture around us. It is bad, folks. It's bad, 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 bad. It's not as bad in our hospitals as they make it out to be if I choose to believe all of the upstanding, outstanding Christians that I know that are actually working in these hospitals. Okay. The 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 narratives are always overblown, always exaggerated. I've talked to multiple Christian people and I've had friends talk to multiple Christian people who work in the hospitals and they're just like, you know, 
we're not really supposed to say it, but it's it's not like the you know apocalyptic type uh, vision that you often get on TV shows or, or the news. Yeah, there's some hospitals that have been overrun. They're overrun almost every year at certain points in time. But um, I, I think I want to speak primarily to this idea of the vaccine being our messiah. You know, it's a solution. If we just get needles in arms. Well, okay, a couple points. Um, first of all, just, just an educational point. Um, it is an experimental vaccine. So let's just remind ourselves of that. It's authorized by the FDA. It's not approved by the FDA. If you want to do a little bit of research on that, jump online. What's the difference between authorized and approved? The words both start with A, but they're different. It's not approved. So if you take the vaccine, just know you're taking an experimental vaccine that's been authorized for emergency use. The jury's out on a lot of its side effects. It's it's a new kind of vaccination. So do a little bit of uh, educating on that. I'm not going to give you advice. We're not going to have a church policy as much as some might like it that says, you know, you you should be vaccinated or you shouldn't be vaccinated. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm going to leave that to people's personal consciences. I know sometimes people look at guys like me who are weighing into fights like this. They want me to fight, you know, every single point, right? They want me to fight like every single battle that they want to fight. At this point, I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of fighting about vaccinations, but I would say that People need to inform themselves, not just be driven by fear and desperation. Make sure you inform yourself when something's stuck in your body. Uh, inform yourself. Don't just do it because your employer says, I got to do it. If your employer says, I want to do it, just respectfully say, you know what? I'll consider it once it's FDA approved, but I'm not doing an, an experimental vaccination right now. That makes a lot of sense to people. Anyway, that aside, the reason why the vaccine is not our savior, I'll tell you why is because in the Christian church, we have to allow for conscientious objectors, period. We can't assume that everybody in our church, there's there's nothing in the Bible that says if you're going to participate in the service of the ministry of the life of a church, you have to be vaccinated. We can't add to scripture and make that a requirement. So moving forward, I can guarantee you this, not everybody in your church is going to be vaccinated. Maybe a large percentage will, maybe a small percentage will. But if you think, well, we just got to get everybody vaccinated, that's going to be the solution. Have you forgotten the fact that people have their own consciences and wills? They're not all going to do that. At some point, you're going to have to reopen your church, either throw everybody out who's not vaccinated, or you're going to have to just get over the fact that not everybody's going to be vaccinated. And then we also stand the very real chance of just an ongoing litany of variants, you know, variant after variant after variant for many years to come. How do we know? I mean, how, how many vaccines can you possibly create to keep up with all these variants? And then when this virus is gone, we know every three, four, five, six years, something new comes across the pond, you know, whether it's SARS or what the swine flu or whatever, whatever new thing is out there. There's going to be future uh, viruses. And now that we've seen this massive overreaction this time, if we don't push back, this is going to become the, the status quo. Could be every three, four, five years. Shut the church down. Rolling lockdowns for the next year or two because we got to develop a vaccine for, you know, whatever the the newest virus uh, coming out of China or who knows the tundra, wherever it comes from, right? Uh, so I, I wouldn't put too many of your eggs in that basket. At some point, 
every faithful church is just simply going to have to reopen their doors. There's never going to be any absolute guarantee that there won't be viral spread, that people are going to be saved and rescued. It's just not going to happen. I I think that's foolhardy to think otherwise. So let's say we have a pastor or a listener uh, listening in, specifically pastor or elder listening in, and they say nine out of nine, I agree with you. I'm on board. Here's the 10th objection. It's the bonus one. Okay. My elders aren't aligned, okay. <laughs> which actually I've heard this often. Yeah. It seems like there's seems there's churches just very much their elders are not aligned on this. They may be an elder led or a congregational church and they're just, maybe it's their, their polity is kind of him, like hindering them or maybe they're just, they're not aligned. What would you say to that? And maybe what uh, advice would you give? Well, I think that is a common problem in many churches where you have the, the, the highest end leaders, the high end leaders, generally in most churches, the elders and some churches, I guess they might call them deacons or whatever, but elder led churches uh, or even elder governed churches where you, not everybody is kind of on the same page and they just can't arrive at a conclusion. Well, I, I would just say you're, you've obviously made a decision when you've chosen to comply. So you're going to make a decision one way or the other. There's there's no neutral ground in this. This is why people are on one side or the other. There's no neutral ground. You're either in favor of the lockdowns or you're opposed to it and your actions should correspond. I think, um, you know, early on when we had very little information, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of questions. There's unprecedented times. We get it. I would encourage uh, elder groups now to really talk deeply about the principles and theology behind their decisions. Not just, you, you can't, at this point, a year and a bit in, if you have strong inclinations to close your church, let's hear your reasons. I'm not hearing any good reasons, really. If you have strong inclinations to open them, you should have reasons. You need to do your research you can't just sit there staring at the screen, you know, waiting on uh, with bated breath for Doug Ford's next announcement or Jason Kenney's next announcement or whoever's next announcement to tell you what to do. You have to make a principled stand, a principled decision. And if your leaders are actually qualified men and you say, okay, let's let's redirect the conversation away from, you know, legal matters and what other churches are doing or what our denominational headquarters are telling us or what's going on in our city or what we're kind of feeling in our gut and talk about the principles. And this is why podcasts like this are supposed to be educational. So start off with categorize your questions. What's the most important question? I think the most important question for any elders team to answer right now is who's the head of the church? Just make it real simple. Who's the head of the church? Mull that one over, wrestle it to the ground. Then go to the next question. What is the relationship between church and state? What is that relationship? Wrestle that one to the ground. Study out Romans 13. I I think if you study it, you'll arrive at the conclusions that I've arrived at, which is the government's authority is limited. The early Christians obviously didn't see it as comprehensive, or they would have been meeting in catacombs and in people's houses, contrary to government edicts. That's kind of a key point, by the way, that if the early Christians that read Romans 13 for the first time or probably heard it preached first, but read it for the first time, understood that as to mean that the government has comprehensive authority over everything, they wouldn't have been meeting in catacombs. They wouldn't have met in homes. That was illegal. So you you have to ask question number one, who's the head of the church uh, in matters of 
worship and practice. Question number two is what's the church's relationship to the state? You have to wrestle that one to the ground. Once you've wrestled those two to the ground, then all the practical questions become much simpler. Should we defy? Should we comply? Should we obey? What about health regulations? You know, whatever it might be, spatial distancing. How do we accommodate people that want to meet online? How do we how do we announce it to the church? You know, how do we deal with the media, the press? All those become secondary questions. But I have this sense that many churches out there feel like deer in the headlights. I I feel for many pastors that, that I can just I, I see it in their eyes when I observe their um, uh, primarily their online announcements to their congregations. To me, they look like they're scared to death. Doug Ford does too. Feel bad for the guy. They, they kind of look scared to death because they've they've allowed all these voices to throw you know 101 questions into their minds and they haven't gone back to the basic ones. Who's the head of the church? Period. Who decides when you can baptize? Who decides when you can sing? You thought about that? Who decides when, where, and for how long you can preach? Who decides that? My answer is Christ. If your answer is the state, then you have your answer. If that's your answer, then just know this. When the state says you can't counsel homosexuals, you, you should not be counseling homosexuals. When the state says that you know you can't say ABC, whether it's this year or five years from now in your sermons, then you can't say it. When the state says you can't homeschool your kids, then you can't do it. If the state has authority over the worship and the life and the practice of your church, then you have to be consistent and give them all authority over all of those things, period. And uh, so a lot of churches, I don't think, have, have really come to a conclusion on that. It's like the, the most obvious question, but it hasn't been dealt with. And the second one is, again, what does it mean to submit to government? And if you believe that it's comprehensive, if you believe that anytime any government official tells me, gives me any rule, any regulation, whether I like it or not, that I'm, I must comply, well, <laughs> you are setting yourself up for a lot of disaster and a lot of contradiction and a lot of angst um, because the, the government, when you give it comprehensive authority over every aspect of your life, will only take more. Study history, folks. We know this. Right, so I would I would just say that those are kind of the two fundamental things for leadership boards to discuss. And if at some point you're a pastor and you know you're you've been working with your key people for a year, two years on this, and you just really feel uh, the church has to be open, but your guys don't, you just need to say that to them. Like there, there's going to come a time. When we either open this church and you follow my lead on it, or I need to move on myself because in good conscience, we're not we're not in ministry for the paycheck. We're not in ministry because it's our job. We're in ministry for Christ. And if a church chooses to live in disobedience to God's express word, it's time for you to get out of town. So that, that's what I would say. That would be my response. Well, thank you for your answers to these uh, 10, I guess, bad reasons to close your church. 
We just want to encourage all of our listeners to continue checking out our resources over at Pursuit of Glory as well. If you go to head over to pursuitofglory.org, there's resources and podcasts there. And especially as we live in an age of censorship uh, where social media is not predictable and accounts disappear uh, and get limited, we would love to build up our subscriber base there so we can continue to provide resources like Leadership Now and other articles uh, to you there. So please go check that out and sign up there. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, thank you to each of you who've tuned in. Make sure to like it, to subscribe and share it, especially on social media. Maybe share it with your elders or pastor. uh, And to most importantly, tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. 